Episode 12, Rebecca Hessian, president of Fleetwood Hessian. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Analytics about people. Insights for executives. Truth you can act on. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn. Welcome back to Gut Plus Science. It's Nikki, and today we're talking about effective learning and development programs. So the most recent stats I could find say that we spend over $70 billion per year in the United States on employee training. The problem is that only 20% of company executives in the U.S. feel confident in the ROI of their training dollars. Why is this, and what's the problem? Today, I will be talking with Rebecca Hessian, president of Fleetwood Hessian Consulting, President's Club level trainer with Franklin Covey for 15 years and national TEDx speaker on the keys to effective employee training. We'll dive right in, but first let's hear from our sponsor. Purplelink's customized HR services will help you make your workspace joy-powered. Whether you're looking for help with recruiting, compliance, or leadership training, they listen to what you need and tailor their solutions to you. Check out purplelinkllc.com. That's purpleinkllc.com to find out how they can help your business. And look for the Joy Powered Workspace podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. And Rebecca, welcome to the show. I'm so excited. Let's uh, go ahead and kick off. And I've got a really loaded question to get started with. So you just heard the statistic that only 20% of U.S. business leaders have confidence in their training efforts. Why do you think that the majority of leaders in our country question the impact of employee training programs? Oh my gosh, it's a it's a great question, and it, it has bigger answers than than people like. A couple of reasons. One is it's hard to measure. I mean, it just it just is, and leaders like things that are more finite. It's easy to measure sales. It's easy to measure cost or amount of scrap. It's just it's one of those things that they question because it's a little more difficult to measure. I think is the the short answer to that. I guess in getting started with measurement, um, because that is such a big key so that we can see the ROI of the efforts and the money and the time that we're putting into things, how do you uh, suggest just getting started around developing programs and then having measurement systems that tie to those? It's interesting. I find that the measurement is, well, let me back up. The reason I think that people struggle with this is that training needs to be put into the context of the business in the bigger picture. It can't be separate. And what's typically missing from most training and development is context. And this is a word that I use constantly, and it's the most critical missing piece most often. Now, the root of the word context means to weave. And if you think about a training program, if people don't know why they're there in the context of what the expectation is, that what they're supposed to learn and how they're going to use it when they get back to the job, then it's a separate activity. But context would be, I know that I've created the kinds of learning and training programs that are meant to align with both the cultural expectations, as well as the day-to-day work and the strategic goals and objectives. You shouldn't have training for training's sake, obviously, but training is really only meant to solve for teaching people how to do something. 
if they don't know the why behind that, then someone can have a great training experience and still not know what they're supposed to do with it when they get back to work. So what I'm hearing you say is that training is a strategic effort, not a tactical effort. Um, How many times do we hear about what our uh, neighbor company or best friend's company just implemented from a training program based on a recent book that they read in the next month where they're rolling that training out? So take us back and help us understand kind of the layout of the plan for training. Like when is that usually starting and how much in advance are you planning out training initiatives typically in a business? Let's talk about training and what it's really was originally supposed to be. So it used to be called training and development, T and D, but oftentimes it was big T, little D, lots of training, little development. Development is really the part that makes the training work. So development says, I have the context in my day-to-day work to be able to learn and get information from my leader, my manager, my colleague. It wasn't meant to be, we're going to send people to classes to fix them, to teach them, and then throw them back into the job. But unfortunately, a lot of times that's happening. And and exactly what you said, you know, my boss read a book on a plane and now I'm in a training class. Um, So it, it really has to be the bigger picture strategically. So I say start with strategy. So I'm a big believer that an organization's culture and the way that employees engage is much of the reflection of how the leadership shows up. And my question is around mindset of a leader, especially when it comes to training and development. What would be your greatest suggestion? How do leaders need to change their mindset with regards to this topic? Development is as much a role of a leader and a manager as their day-to-day work. And so if, if you go back to a pretty typically well, typical well-known model in training and development, you know, 70-20-10, you know, 70% of learning should happen on the job. And so only 10% should be in a, in a classroom or an online training environment. So a, a mindset of a leader should be, if they're really focused on development, that it's everybody's responsibility to be developing in the day-to-day work not just in a training class. So let's break that down a little bit. I love that 70% of learning should be on the job. So illustrate that when it comes to, we have a key executive listening right now that has a large workforce underneath them. How do you do that? What is learning on the job? What does that look like? Let's say a, an employee comes to their manager and says, ask them a question, any question, not even on how to do something, but just, hey, what do you think we should do about XYZ client? The worst thing a manager can do, should do, is answer that question immediately. That's a learning opportunity. And so if the manager just answers the question, there's been no real exchange in, in understanding what the context was for why the employee asked the question. Is it part of a bigger challenge? Is it an opportunity to get some insight into how that employee sees the situation? The best thing a manager can do in that moment is to say, that's a really good question. So first you want to validate that, get them comfortable, and then say, what do you think? And open up the conversation. If managers and leaders did that one thing, more often in a day-to-day basis, a ton more learning and development is going to happen in the work. 
So the theme that I keep hearing and feeling through this is how important it is for people that have leadership responsibilities at any level, whether it's an executive team level or middle manager, is the ability to be a coach to their people. And so when someone comes and asks to solve a problem and you put it back on them and start to ask questions to be able to work through that together, that sounds like a coach to me. My question to you is how important is it at any level of leadership to be trained in coaching skills? And there should be an expectation that coaching should be happening. And, and again, oftentimes we take things, we, we tend to overcomplicate things, right? So teaching coaching skills will only be effective if then people are modeling it and using it in their day-to-day. So going to the class is only 10% of that 70-20-10, right? So if they go to the class, but then there are no expectations that I'm going to apply and learn, and this is going to become part of our culture, changing behavior is hard. So Rebecca, you've worked in hundreds of organizations over your time developing many different training and learning and development programs. And I'm sure there's some cultures that you just see the coaching side of leaders that it's just alive. And I'd love for you to illustrate when you see organizations that just have great leaders and they're filled with great skills around being coaches, what does that look like? Like break down, uh, illustrate for us what leaders that have great coaching skills look like and what those, how those teams perform and interact with those leaders. Well, I think it goes back to that example that I, I just used is, is they see coaching as a part of the role. I mean, it's habitual. It's not something they see as separate. And it's an expectation they have for their managers and the people that report to them. And so they don't see training as I'm going to send somebody off to fix them. They see the role of development as everybody's job in the organization. And it's, it's a tangible difference in, in the way they move through the work. It's slowing down enough in between the meetings and in between the stuff to look around and observe and look for opportunities to have conversations with people where you can learn and from them. The, the best leaders are the ones that are learning from the people at the front line, learning from, from what they're hearing from the managers in those conversations. It's just It just becomes the, a part of the work, not separate. When we look at the purpose of this show is really to learn from you on effective training because there's so many dollars that we feel are wasted from these training efforts. And so right now we're focusing on context and being strategic and getting leaders involved and being coaches Um, from a holistic perspective, like big picture, let's back up. What are all of the key components that make up employee training? Let me give you three categories of of training to, to look for and be aware of because one is really effective and the other two, not so much. There's effective training, and we'll dig into that that based on your question in just a minute. There's efficient training, which is where we just boil it down to the you know a class. We're going to just throw everybody in a class to fix them because that's a that seems efficient. And then there's entertainment, and unfortunately, a lot of times we've gotten to this point where we are feeling like we need to entertain in a training class. And I think engagement is critical, but I believe that engagement comes from the context. When people come to a class or have any kind of learning opportunity and they know why they're there and they're digging in because we're trying to connect what they're learning 
in the class to how they're going to use it when they get back to the job, and the majority of the class is spent on that application, that is engaging. You don't have to add bells and whistles and entertainment value to keep people engaged. Engage them in showing them how that skill, how that mindset, how what they're learning is going to help them on the job and why that's important. So the effective training and development programs are tied to the work directly. People know exactly what they're supposed to learn and why they're supposed to learn it and and how it impacts the organization overall and even the customers. So it has that why impact, not just the what and the how. So effective programs are not just training, it's training and development. Let's unpack that a little bit to really break it down. So when you're talking about effective training and development and really focusing on the why so that the intention is set from the very beginning and then all throughout, once we learn, continuing to reiterate and focus on those skills and help them implement those really like all of this around that context piece that you were talking about. My question to you is how do you start from an organizational standpoint How do you start to tee this up effectively? And another big piece of this is involvement breeds commitment. So if people that are responsible for these changes in behavior tied to the goals and the strategy are involved in how it's built, you have a much higher probability that they're going to do the work of application and coaching as a part of the process. And so if there's a new strategy that's being rolled out and I'm looking at development opportunities with my client, I'm saying the the very first thing I'm saying is, okay, so here's where you're going with your strategy. Here's what you're trying to accomplish. Tell me more about the why behind that. It might be, well, we need our salespeople to be more consultative. Um, They've been typically selling products and now we need to sell more solutions. Okay. That sounds like a great strategy. Why? Unfortunately, oftentimes people don't go there first. They go to, boom, what do people need to do differently? And I want to know why. Why is this important to the organization? And let's get that story and the context really down solid. That will do two things. It will inform the what and the how. Who's going to go through what development? What's it look like? How's it going to play out? But it also, that story of the why and the context needs to go into the classroom or whatever the learning looks like as a part of that learning for the participant. They need to know why. Why is the organization making this shift? Because really anything in training is about changing your behavior. It's hard. And so if you don't know why, there's no compelling, well, you can, you can change your behavior because you're being compliant and because someone told you you need to or that you're in a class, so I guess you should. But if you've got the bigger picture and the why and the context, now you've emotionally engaged me in the story, and now you have a higher probability of getting someone to want to change their behavior when it's difficult. All I keep hearing you say, like these words around conversations, communication, tie it back to the why, keep communicating. And I think we just, you know, we bring a new program in a lot of times and we're just like, 
okay, sure, whatever. And they just really don't have the communication to understand the why, even from the beginning and all throughout to really make that impact for them. So I, I think that that's huge. Whichever way a leader chooses to communicate, whether that's multiple emails, one-on-one communication with uh, direct managers, a delivery on their desk of a note on why, whatever, it's that constant communication reiteration so that they can understand why they're going to bring that energy and truly engage in these training programs. That's what I'm hearing. Absolutely. And then then you want to look at what are the structures and the compensation and what are the systems and processes and structure that surround this group and make sure that that is aligned well to support this change in behaviors. So it's it's bigger than just booking a training class for sure if you want it to be effective which is why a lot of people go to Efficient and, and book the class, send people to it, and then hope that enough of them latch on to the new behaviors to get the results that you want. So let's say that we have a listener that really hasn't developed any kind of formal strategic plan for their training or someone that feels like they're just really rough around the edges with the training that they have in place. How do you effectively uh, start to segment different learning groups and assign the right cadence? Are there some keys to that? Going back to tying it to strategy or the day-to-day work or culture and then saying, okay, so in the organization, we want to do X. What's the goal? What's the strategy? What's the context? And then looking at who is going to have the biggest touch points to that strategy or those goals. So so maybe it's middle-level managers. So then you want to look at more of a process, not a training event that says, okay, what do we want from our middle-level managers? What are the behaviors that are important? Where's, where are the gaps? And then develop a process that involves the pre-conversations. Here's why we're doing this. Here's the bigger picture in conversation. Then look at learning opportunities, whether it's, you know, training, coaching, online, live, whatever that looks like, but then build it in over a time period where there's lots of application involved in between the learning so that people have a, have an opportunity to really apply what they've learned and a safe place to have the conversations about, hey, this is harder than I thought it was going to be, you know, help me with whatever challenges I have, not just a one or a two day training class, but build it as a part of a process. The, the best ones are those that are scale, you know, three, six months where they have learning, but also coaching and conversations with their peers and their leaders as they're applying the new behaviors. Great. So I heard you say, what's the goal? Who's involved? What's the process? And then what platform are we going to use, basically? Which leads me into this question around training environment. And, you know, today's world, a lot of people are doing things virtually uh, versus in a classroom, doing things on site at their location, getting off site and more in a, in a retreat environment. Tell us about how important the training environment is and what your recommendations are around the space that we learn in. It depends. So if if you really want thought-provoking people to dig deep, you're really looking at something that, that needs a, a ton of emotional bandwidth and their minds there, you, you can't have laptops in the room, people interrupting, coming in and pulling people out, and that's not going to work. So if you need to go off-site to do that, great, do so. But don't take people off-site just to entertain them. It's expensive, and it's it's that's not the the why behind the what of that. Take people off-site if you really need them to disengage from the day-to-day work and give you thoughtful 
engaging, give them the space to think deeply. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on virtual learning and when that works or when it doesn't. Um, It should be a part of a bigger picture. I don't think it should ever replace face-to-face, heartbeat-to-heartbeat conversations and coaching and learning and opportunity, Um, but it certainly has a place to build in some, some effective ways to give people pieces of content but the application afterwards is the real key. So I think it's a a great strategy, but it should be part of a bigger picture. I know throughout our time today, um, a number of these things have been hit on, but just to kind of summarize, what do you think are the top reasons that employee training and development programs fail? They're not tied to anything. So it's either entertainment or efficient, not effective. So it's just Somebody read a book on a plane. Let's. This sounds really cool. Let's put everybody in a class. Um, some some people are going to get a lot out of that, but if it's not channeled in back to the business contextually and application wise, then you've spent a lot of money on something that you're not going to get a good return on investment. So my recommendation is always do less better. It's not about how many training programs do we have available for our people. It's do we have the right ones for the right reasons and are people reinforcing the behaviors when they get back to the job. Do less better. I think the entire world needs to hear that, right? I feel like the more we learn and we read this book or we watch this um, you know, the show or this YouTube video, we're automatically implementing these things. And it's like, I, I love that. Do less better. Great, great takeaway. And I'm, it leads me into our last question before we go into the lightning round and learn a little bit more about you. So if one of our listeners is thinking about taking the first steps to beginning a training initiative or just completely revitalizing what they have. I know that you're going to, you're going to tell us about strategy and context and how important that is. Definitely. We've got that theme today. What does this look like and who do they reach out to, to be able to start a process like this? And how long does it take to kind of roadmap this kind of give us some timeline and just break it down to make it a little simple on how do we get started with building that strategy? Yeah, before you call anyone to say, I think we need training, the leadership team should be having these conversations about context and why and who first. So decide who in the organization needs behavior change to accomplish your strategy. Just have that conversation amongst you. Build that into your your you know regular leadership conversation cadence and talk about behaviors and and development opportunities. And then if you've identified that there are some skills that need to be taught, then bring someone in to have that conversation around who and what, but don't start with training. Don't don't start with, hey, I, I heard this class was really good and they're doing it down the street. Don't start there. Start back in their leadership boardroom, conference room of saying, who needs to learn something different and then go look for the right partners based on what your people need to learn. You know what I just jotted down a note around is just such a key takeaway on a regular interaction every week when leaders are meeting together, a part of that interaction should be who's on our list and what is it that they need to learn? Like who is this, this leader or um, this team member that we know needs to learn this. And it's just part of the constant communication. And it's not like a quarterly review. It is every single time we're getting together, we're trying to identify which people on our team 
are either struggling with something that they need to overcome or we see this high potential opportunity in them and we need to pour into that. So it's just part of this constant um, dialogue and not this check the box, you know, when we get together to do our organizational review. I I love that. That's great. So Rebecca, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor. We're going to come back and we want to do a quick lightning round where we'll just uh, learn a few things about you and then make sure that our listeners know how to reach you as well. We'll be right back. Custom Concrete has been creating foundations for the finest homes, commercial buildings, and industrial facilities throughout central Indiana since 1969. Builders, contractors, and homeowners rely on our expertise because so much depends on getting it right. Our knowledge and control of all aspects of the job, from excavation to waterproofing to backfill, means that extra value is built into every project. Codes don't drive our business. Excellence does. See the difference at customconcrete.com. All right, Rebecca, so this brings us to the lightning round of our show where I'm going to ask you just a couple questions. Our listeners and myself, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So number one, what's your favorite activity to recharge? Running when it's outside. Your favorite personal or professional development teacher? You know, I spent almost two decades with the Franklin Covey organization, and I had a chance to actually work directly several times with Stephen R. Covey, Dr. Covey. And I can tell you that there there will be no other part of my life and career that will shape me probably more than that time with him did. What are you reading right now that you would recommend? I'm pretty excited about No Ego by Cy Wakeman and, and what she's doing right now about looking at the amount of drama that exists in the workplace, um, which I find to be really fascinating. And Rebecca, how can our listeners connect with you? So my website is fleetwoodhessian.com, which there's some opportunities to to connect there. LinkedIn is kind of my go-to place if you want to drop me a message there and we can schedule some time to meet. Of course, all the social media places I'm on that. But the website and LinkedIn are probably the two, two best places. All right. And this brings us to the truth you can act on section of gut plus science, where you can take what we've learned today and go implement it, go take it and move the needle on engagement in your organization. So number one, dedicate time to strategically planning your training and development initiatives. So as a company, I'm sure that you have key company initiatives that you plan for the year and then you break them down quarterly. Now, what we've learned today, we need to then take those and well in advance when we've been planning these company initiatives, break down the key things that we need to learn as an organization and who needs to learn those and then be able to develop a learning plan for those key leaders or those key employees that need to then be able to get involved in that training and development initiative. Number two, so we heard from Rebecca that 70% of learning should be on the job. Wow. So if we, um, as, as leaders, have a direct report, we need to ask ourselves, how well are we doing as a coach every day? Coaching is every day. It's not just, uh, yeah, we do a coaching session once a quarter, once a month. How am I being as a coach in my everyday life as a leader? And what intentional learning assignments do I have in place and for who right now? Should be something we're asking ourselves constantly. And third, In each leadership meeting, we need to make it a habit to identify who needs a behavior change or a skill development and constantly be identifying the people in our organization that we're going to go and approach with the next steps in their learning development plan, helping them understand why. And so the key in this third step is 
constant communication and list development, if you will, around the leaders in our organization or people, team members that need certain habit changes or skill behavior or skill development and be able to be proactive on that. So that's a wrap on Gut Plus Science, guys. See you next week. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.